0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Thursday, September 1st, 2022. The first story at the top of Antiwar.com. The first headline is, The West Sabotaged a Tentative Peace Deal Back in April That Was Between Russia and Ukraine. This is based on a long article in Foreign Affairs by Fiona Hill and Angela Stent. Fiona Hill is the one I'm more familiar with. She was in the Bush administration. She was in the Trump administration for a short time too, I think on the National Security Council. But it's a typical Washington think tank uh, article about how Putin Putin's invasion had nothing to do with NATO expansion. But buried in it is a very interesting piece of information. It says that according to multiple former senior U.S. officials that the two authors spoke with, In April 2022, Russian and Ukrainian negotiators appeared to have tentatively agreed on the outlines of a negotiated interim settlement. The terms of that settlement would have been for Russia to withdraw to the positions that it held before launching the invasion on February 24th. In exchange, Ukraine would promise not to seek NATO membership and instead receive security guarantees from a number of other countries. The tentative deal was the result of in-person peace talks, Russian and Ukrainian officials held in Istanbul at the end of March. Um, So that was really just the one nugget of information from this long article that was important and the rest is context that I'm including that they left out. Um, But so the deal, it was a result of these peace talks in Istanbul at the end of March and virtual talks resumed after the meeting in istanbul but the two sides ultimately failed to reach a deal and a major factor a major maybe the primary factor in the failed negotiations was pressure from the west according to a report from ukrainska pravda which is a pro ukrainian outlet it's ukrainian media outlets pretty pro kiev it's different than pravda the russian newspaper which i think was a former soviet union paper Uh, But British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he urged Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to stop negotiating with Russia when he visited Kiev on April 9th. According to the report, Johnson told Zelensky that even if Ukraine is ready to sign some agreement on guarantees with Putin, Kiev's Western backers are not. The report said that Johnson said we're not ready and that he was speaking for the collective West with the U.S. being the leader of NATO. You know, it's very. um, He wouldn't do this without support from the U.S. Go in there and, and tell them to stop negotiating. The report said that Russia was ready for a meeting between Putin and Zelensky on the potential peace deal, but it became less likely after Johnson's visit. And Johnson appeared to confirm this report uh, about a month later. He spoke with Macron on the phone, the French president, and he told Macron that while he was in Kiev during this visit, he urged the Ukrainians not to negotiate with Russia. And the Johnson, he's due to step down as prime minister in September, but he visited Kiev one last time uh, in August just recently, and he told the Ukrainians, again, don't negotiate with Russia. So according to this report, the other factor that scuttled peace talks was the discovery of massacred civilians in Bucha and other areas near Kiev that Russia withdrew from around the time negotiations were being held. Russia announced after after the Istanbul talks at the end of March that it was drastically reducing military operations around Kiev and the northern city of Chernihiv. And so this was, they had these talks in Istanbul right after Russia's deputy defense minister announced this, that they're going to drastically reduce military operations in the north. And what followed was a withdrawal from the north. So it was definitely related to the peace talks. But, you know, the U.S.-Ukrainian narrative is that it was a retreat. And Russia definitely took a lot of losses in that part of the offensive. But it, it was clearly timed, it seems... At, just looking at the timeline, it looks like it was timed with the, the talks. Um, but when they pulled out from that area, you know, the U.S. and its NATO allies, they viewed it as a withdrawal. They viewed it as an opportunity to start really hurting Russia. They said, "Oh, wait, maybe we can really um, beat Russia or just hurt Russia." And this is when we saw the rhetoric kind of change. Now, this was uh, when Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin went to Kiev, which was later in April after Russia and Ukraine basically said that there's no progress on the peace talks anymore. Austin went there. And afterward, he said that the U.S.'s goal in Ukraine was to weaken Russia. And then in May, the following month, uh, Congress appropriated $40 billion for Ukraine aid, which President Biden signed into law. So this just shows the timeline. There were peace talks. They looked like they could have made some progress. They had a tentative agreement and then it fell apart because of this pressure from the West. And then all this aid came. So, um, it really just goes to show how the U S they don't want this war to end. All right. The next one here, Moscow says that the U S and Russia are discussing possible new start commission talks, Russian foreign foreign. Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov, he said Wednesday that the U.S. and Russia were discussing the possibility of resuming talks on New START, the last nuclear arms control treaty between the two powers. Um, Ryabkov said that the topic has come up repeatedly through working channels that the U.S. and Russia are apparently communicating through. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what these channels are, but this is a good sign that at least there's some sort of communication. And he said that they're discussing holding a meeting of the bilateral consultative uh, consultative commission, which was established under the New Start Treaty, and it's an it's a compliance and implementation body. The New Start Treaty it limits the deployment of uh, nuclear capable missiles and bombers and nuclear warheads, and it, there's an inspection regime. So I asked the State Department about what Riaopkov said, and they wouldn't confirm that they were holding discussions, but they signaled that it it seems like they are Uh, based on the comment from them. They said that the first step would be to resume New START inspections that were paused due to COVID-19. A State Department spokesperson told me in an email, quote, the first step toward progress is to resume inspections under the New START Treaty. Inspections were paused for COVID reasons. Both sides can safely resume inspections and the United States is prepared to work with Russia in the new start treaties by consultative commission to achieve that end End quote. Russia recently said that it temporarily suspended us inspections of its nuclear weapons under the new start treaty, because Russia is saying that their inspectors can't go to the U S because of sanctions. But the state department has previously denied that the new start again, um, Before so, before Russia invaded Ukraine, the U.S. and Russia were engaged in arms control talks. But the U.S. cut them off after the invasion. And throughout the war, Russian officials, they were repeatedly saying, hey, we're ready for arms control. Let's do some arms control. But Washington said um, it didn't show any interest. And I asked them, I asked the State Department a few times throughout the war just to see what they would say. And usually the statement would be something like, oh, we, arms control is good and everything, but Russia, basically something President Biden actually said in a statement last month was that his administration was ready to, to negotiate a replacement to New START, but basically signaled that it won't happen while the war is, ha- is going on. While the war in Ukraine is going, we're not gonna negotiate with them on this issue. But it seems like this is a change. It looks like the US might be softening its stance because in this State Department, uh, the comments to me, they didn't mention the war in Ukraine. It was the first time that they didn't when I asked them about arms control. So I think it's a sign. It could be a sign towards some progress with these talks that they could separate it from the war in Ukraine. Because again, New START, it's the last nuclear arms control treaty between the US and Russia. We Keep seeing all these warnings from the head of the UN, other officials, just how the risk of nuclear war is higher than ever, higher than during the Cold War. And that's because the US is funding a proxy war on Russia's border and has pretty much abandoned diplomacy with Russia altogether. Blinken didn't talk with his, with Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister for months and months. And when they first talk, it was about a prisoner swap. It wasn't related to the war. So this is a good ish sign. I think I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but hopefully we get some arms control talks going and, you know, the world becomes at least a little less dangerous. All right, the next one here, uh, a team of IAEA inspectors, that's the UN's nuclear watchdog, arrived in the city of Zaporizhia in southern Ukraine on their way to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. So this is a little confusing. Zaporizhia is a province in Ukraine. There's also a city called Zaporizhia, and there's a nuclear power plant called Zaporizhia. The city of Zaporizhia is controlled by Ukraine but the power plant and all the area around it is controlled by Russia. So the IAEA team arrived on Wednesday in Zaporizhia, the city. It's about 35 miles from the plant and they're expected to travel to the plant on Thursday morning, which is controlled by Russia. So this is a long awaited mission. Russia has been calling for these inspectors to come as there's been frequent shelling at this nuclear power plant, raising fears of a potential nuclear disaster. Ukraine accused Russia of attacking the plant, but Moscow has little reason to shell a facility that it controls. Russian troops are stationed at the plant, and Moscow has rejected calls to demilitarize the area. Um, Rafael Grossi, the IAEA chief, he's traveling with the team. He said the initial inspection should only take a few days, but he hopes to establish a permanent presence at the base. And this was welcomed by Russia. A Russian envoy said that they welcome the idea of a permanent IAEA presence. So hopefully, these inspectors get there and this shelling stops because they keep reporting that Ukraine is firing on this plant, the Russian uh, installed officials there. So hopefully, that stops in this uh, danger of a nuclear catastrophe. Um, you know, subsides because it is a very dangerous situation when you have a nuclear power plant being bombed and shelled. All right. So the next one here, Taiwan warns of counterattack if Chinese military enters territorial waters and airspace. Taiwan's military issued a strong warning to China on Wednesday saying that it will launch counterattacks if Chinese military planes or ships enter Taiwan's territorial waters or its airspace, both of which extend 12 nautical miles from the island's coast. So China launched its largest ever military drills around Taiwan at the beginning of August in response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visiting the island. At the time, the South China Morning Post, so at the time there were there was a report that a Chinese warship entered the 12-mile zone, that's Taiwan's territorial waters, But later, Taiwanese officials denied that, and they said that the ship stayed 24 nautical miles away from the island during the drills. So it doesn't look like China has breached that zone yet, but China has kept up the military pressure on Taiwan as U.S. delegations continue to visit the island. Five U.S. visits to Taiwan in the month of August, that's a lot. Um, and on Tuesday, Taiwan said that it fired warning shots on a Chinese drone that was flying over the Kinmen Islands, also known as the Quimois. Um, It's a Taiwanese-controlled archipelago on the southeastern coast of mainland China. It is important just for people to understand that Taiwan controls islands that are basically uh, almost... Attached to the mainland. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's mainland China. It's on the other side of the Taiwan Strait. And these islands during the Taiwan Strait crises in the 1950s, they were shelled by China. And the US military intervened in these, during these, what they called the first Taiwan Strait crisis and the second Taiwan Strait crisis. So this is always a risk that if tensions really get high, that uh, China could potentially move to take these islands. I mean, you got to think that they could do that pretty easily (laughs) because they're right there. Um, But anyway, so the Taiwan, they fired warning shots at this drone and tensions are just really soaring now. And Chinese military analysts, they told the South China morning post that since then it's really escalated the chance of a military clash and that, the Chinese activity is not going to slow down is what they also said, because the U S keeps sending officials to Taiwan. And during that Taiwan Strait crisis, the second one in 1958 military planners, there was a serious push for the U S to use nuclear weapons on China to bomb China with a nuclear weapon. So that's just the history here. So it's a sensitive, just you have to understand how sensitive it is for China. And this stuff is really, uh, dangerous and troubling because again a full invasion of taiwan is such a major military operation but maybe china would move to take those little islands and what would the u.s response be that's the big question um you know it could be that could be the precursor to a bigger war let's say china takes those islands and then the u.s really ramps up military aid for taiwan and support and changes the relationship and then who knows what could happen from there? It's just very dangerous, and it should uh, hopefully stop. But it doesn't look like the U.S. doesn't isn't showing any signals that it's going to try to de-escalate the situation. The next one here, speaking of tensions, uh, Germany said that it's going to expand its military presence in the Asia-Pacific to counter China. This was the German defense minister. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the, the head of Germany's armed forces, speaking to Reuters saying Germany is going to expand its presence in the region by sending ships and participating in military drills in Australia. Last year, Germany sent a ship to the South China Sea, which was the first time they did so in almost 20 years. So this is just an example of the U.S.'s European allies. They're getting in on this uh, expansion in Asia to counter China. Um, We've seen France and the UK send warships in the region too, and NATO has its eye on expanding. Okay, the next one here is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. Promises to Afghans go unfulfilled one year after Kabul evacuation. So this is just a piece about how it's been a year since the U.S. completed its withdrawal, and it evacuated thousands, and I think close to 100,000 or more. I'm not sure the exact number. More than a thousand, more than 100,000. It's in Kyle's piece. Sorry. Uh, but now a bunch of them are in limbo. As Kyle has been covering, there there are camps in the UAE and Kosovo. At, and the one in Kosovo is at a U.S. military base of just these Afghans that can't go into any country. They're in limbo. They're living in prison-like conditions. And there's also thousands of Afghans inside Afghanistan that the U.S. said would help. But they're just awaiting approval. So a year later the people that the media really acted like they cared about, you know, they've just forgotten. I mean, think about that. In Kosovo, a US military base is a bunch of Afghans in a camp that can't go anywhere. It's basically a prison, it sounds like an internment camp. I think that would be a big scandal, but no, we we never hear about it. Um The next one here, U.S. tells Iran not to link IAEA inquiry on uranium traces to the nuclear deal. So this is according to a report from Axios citing a U.S. official that said through the EU mediated talks that they're having to revive the nuclear deal known as the JCPOA. The U.S. told Iran not to link the IAEA's investigation into uranium traces and undeclared nuclear sites to the JCPOA. Okay, so uh, the IAEA, they opened this investigation a few years ago, and they haven't been happy with Iran's explanations, although it it doesn't seem like it's a proliferation risk at all. But they're still uh, hammering this issue, and they won't close the investigation. And Iran has said that they want it closed as part of this plan to revive the JCPOA. So according to this report, the draft deal that the EU has put forward would restore the JCPOA in stages, and one of the stages would be 120 days after the U.S. and Iran signed a deal known as Re-Implementation Day. By that time, Iran is supposed to have brought its nuclear program back into the strict limits set by the JCPOA. In return, the U.S. would lift some sanctions. It's not clear exactly how many or which ones, but enough that Iran could sell oil and do business with Western companies is the idea, I would think. And they would also brief U.S. companies on doing business with Iran. So the U.S. official speaking to Axios said that if Iran links this IAEA inquiry to the JCPOA, it could delay sanctions relief. The U.S. official said, quote, we told the Iranians that it is up to them to solve it with the IAEA and there is no reason to link it to re-implementation day. If Iran does that, it risks delaying sanctions, end quote. The Axios report said that Iran and the IAEA, they they could work out the issue during the 120-day period between the deal and re-implementation day. So that signals that the signing an agreement doesn't hinge on the IAEA dropping the inquiry. It sounds like Iran is saying that they want it to be settled by then, but it's not necessary to sign the agreement with the U.S., That would start the process toward this re-implementation day. So that's where we're at. Um, I hope this isn't too wonky, all these details. And Iran's also seeking guarantees from the U.S. because the JCPOA is not a treaty. The next administration is not bound by it. They could pull out. But with that in mind, Iran is seeking guarantees that kind of create consequences for the U.S. if they pull out. Um, One example is they have these advanced centrifuges that they're supposed to dismantle and destroy to return to the JCPOA, but they said, well, what if we leave it so it would only take a year for us to hook up these centrifuges so then the U.S. would know that if they pulled out the deal, then these centrifuges would be online pretty quickly. That's just one example. And when it comes to guarantees during earlier negotiations in 2021, when the two sides were close to a deal, Iran wanted President Biden to give a guarantee that the U.S. would stay in the agreement just for his term in office, but he refused and the talks stalled. So uh, Biden has taken a hardline position. They've refused to lift all Trump era sanctions, which is why negotiations are necessary. We had another Iran one. Oh, it's, it's in the first section because it's Ukraine. Um, Iran has presented Russia, Uh, Iran's foreign minister was in Moscow on Wednesday and presented Russia with an unnamed European leader's proposal for a peace initiative to end the war in Ukraine. So this is interesting. Uh, We don't really know the details, but Iran said that they gave this peace initiative, handed it over to Russia. Iranian media said that this unnamed official was Macron, uh, that this peace initiative was his, uh, the French president, and he that kind of makes the most sense. He's been calling for negotiations. I mean, France has gone along with the sanctions and everything, but he has been calling for negotiations throughout the war in Ukraine, and he's been keeping in touch with Putin. He's one of the few Western leaders that still holds calls with Putin, and he's also been saying that they should revive the Iran nuclear deal, so the idea that he's in talks with Iran kind of makes sense. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, you never see the U.S. say that they're putting forward a peace initiative for Ukraine. It's all just about weapons, weapons, weapons. Um, but the last news story here, Israel attacks the Syrian capital of Damascus, an airport in Aleppo. So Israel launched, launched more airstrikes in Syria on Wednesday, which they do very often. And the primary target was the Aleppo airport while some air defenses reported strikes against military targets in and around Damascus. So they bombed the Aleppo airport. Uh, we're not clear of the damage, but it's just an example of how they do attack you know, civilian infrastructure. And um, a few months ago, they bombed the Damascus, the international airport, and put it out of commission for a little while. Uh, so Israel, they're always bombing Syria and Gets very little attention. Um, That's it for the news. We got a couple of good viewpoints, as always. Uh, One original one from Ted Snyder about Gorbachev, about his death. So, But that's it for today for the news. That was a lot of information. I hope I explained it all well. Um, If you want to support the show, we have new merch, great new T-shirts, sweatshirts mugs tickers and stuff uh the link is in the description if you want to buy stuff if you buy something let me know i want to hear about it um so i'm excited about this stuff it's really high quality and you should definitely buy it and you can contact us news at antiwar.com donate antiwar.com slash donate and follow me on twitter and all that and that's it for today i will talk to you guys tomorrow with some more news